those who are in the act of dying are most concerned for their family and their friends, and they don't know how to talk about it or express that. So we give those opportunities when we visit and we ask these questions, you know. And welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors and congregational care ministers to develop and implement congregational care ministry and provide ongoing training and resources to existing care ministries. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, and with me today are members of our national team. Hi, I'm Laura Berg. And I'm Reverend Karen Lampy. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about death and dying. We had so much material. We're going to cover this in two parts. So this morning, we're talking about um, the traditional sense of death, uh, losing a loved one, losing a family member. And part two, Reverend Melissa and I have a conversation about the little deaths that we experience, dying to self letting go, unpacking the baggage that each of us carry, and what those little deaths that we experience throughout our life. While it seems um, like a very heavy topic, it's also uh, an area that we can really lean into our faith. We can come alongside people in this journey, in this process of, of death and dying, and truly live out our faith. Um, it's a, a holy, sacred time to embrace our faith in a time when uncertainty um, can be overwhelming. And so uh, I ask both of you, what is it about death and dying that you feel perhaps may be scary for some people to talk about? Well, I would just venture to guess that most most are scared to talk about it, at least in this culture, because we do not normally practice, even within our churches, mm-hmm. um, the the beautiful uh, act of preparing for our end of life. Uh, we're we're good at keeping that one in the closet until it all of a sudden uh, appears, and we have to deal with it, uh, and and then we find how sometimes chaotic and out of control. We, we, we feel like we are totally losing any power or, or ability to even think um, well uh, and respond to the information we get, either if that has been through a tragic loss we encounter or it's our own situation where we receive a diagnosis and we have the work to do uh, in the amount of time that we have. And and so I I, I see that there is a great baseline of fear. I think sometimes we operate out of, uh, while the church also has the tremendous uh, privilege of being able to um, redirect, you know, in, in the end of life conversations that we have, uh, the, the base of love, um, the well of love uh, that, that, Cast out all fear, you know, throughout scripture, um, where, where there is the death and dying experience is that agony of fear, uh, and overwhelmment and, uh, uh, all those issues that currently we know the abandonment issues, this, the loneliness, the, the sense of loss of autonomy and, 
uh, our loss of identity. Who are we now? And what does this mean? So I think we as the church have an uh, awesome uh, uh, opportunity to redirect that to a place where um, we can say, do not fear. Uh, God is with you. And and together, we, we will be with you through this process. And um, yeah, so I, I, I have been excited about the opportunities that I, I have been given as a hospice chaplain uh, to work alongside families uh, and their loved ones as they do this venture of end of life and uh, see that very sacred, intimate um, encounter that you're talking about, Joy, uh, truly is the, I think, I believe it to be the most intimate experience um, mm-hmm. we have in this life. Um, sure. And and we, as the body of Christ, can help people see this as transition mm-hmm. to the something new that God is mm-hmm. doing, the something new mm-hmm. God does in and through us, even in our experience of death you and know, dying. As you're, as you're speaking there, Laura, I just so appreciate the language that you are using. It's language people need to have, because here's this big looming word death <laughs> right and and yet to replace it with transition or birthing you know to help sure. people understand that this is another way of being uh, born into a spiritual body um, but to give them that language even in our processing with them going through the the uh, situations that we encounter, it's like our first task to me always is to take the scare out of the room. Sure. To yeah. just allow um, there to be this great presence of peace and mm-hmm. love and mm-hmm. grace that is embodied um, by this, by not only what the church can bring, but what they can begin to feel happens in the space. And we, that's, I think our biggest task is to bring that in, bring that spirit in. One of the scriptures that come to mind is um, I have not given you a spirit of fear. Mm. Right. But a power. Yeah. (laughs) Love. Yeah. Mm. Self-control. Sound mind. You know, and as, as having gone through this experience with so many, there's so many ways that we can, um, begin to just offer that spiritual experience with people uh, through music or through scripture. Um, there's also a, a spiritual care assessment in the Congregational Care Ministry book um, that you might want to take a look at. But all of those tools help people transition from fear Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. into peace and grace and a a, a sense that all will be well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think my my experiences with uh, death and dying have afforded me a clearer... um, I, I think a, a sweeter picture, if I can use that expression, of the, of my theology uh, as it as it relates to our life 
uh, as a whole. Um, through those experiences, uh, my patients taught me um, about what life really is all about. Karen, I love some of the questions that you've asked about uh, discussing the meaning of our situation that we find ourselves in when we are going through the dying process. Um, one of the questions is, what does it mean for you that you are in this situation or in this phase of your life? And how do you make sense out of this? How do you make sense out of what is happening to you? Um, what are you learning from this? And how has the life um, you know, resulted in new understanding for you um, about either your illness or the situation you're in? And then what purpose and meaning do you find? So, and then that important question of asking, what are your regrets or unresolved needs of forgiveness? Mm -hmm. um, and then helping those persons we are caring for uh, really do the work of, of, reconciliation and or letting go mm -hmm. of those things that have been traps for us in our spiritual life. Um, Karen, do you have anything you want to share? You know, Laura, yes. I, the one thing that keeps springing up in my brain right now is just the whole idea that age is not um, fully the factor of growing older, that, that where these questions are pertinent, that you're you're leaning into, um, having walked through this with children and young people who are terminal, mm. that no matter what the age, that I think these questions that you just enumerated, I think those questions can be very pertinent and we can help people of all ages um, if they have received that terminal diagnosis to just um, to acknowledge their anxiety, their fears, mm. and and to do what we can to help them get past their fears and to see a vision of heaven, or to expand for them um, the great hope of life eternal, no matter what age. Or if, if they are the child living through a parent or grandparent's death. Um, sure. These questions, I think, that you've, you've lifted up are, are so important for all ages. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the questions under the um, heading relation to support system on how do you think your family's doing with this? You know, I think that's one of the biggest concerns um, in the act of dying are most concerned for their family and their friends, and they don't know how to talk about it or express that. So it, we give those opportunities when we visit and we ask these questions, you know, um, what, what has your support system been like and how do you think they're doing with this? And it, mm -hmm. and it can really be that sense of release of, of that worry or concern they're mm -hmm. caring for their family members. Um, I know that when my dad was, had learned that there was nothing more that could be done, um, and, and that he needed to get his life in order, um, his concern was not about his death or dying experience for himself, 
but the heartache um, that it was creating for his family. And he carried that burden. And it and it wasn't until he had the opportunity to talk about that, that he was able to go into a deeper conversation that was less negative, but more positive, that we have loved so greatly one another that we can't imagine being separated from one another and, and existing even in the life hereafter without one another. So that where did that bring us? To that beautiful passage in Romans 8, where nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God and is not the love of God within us. Therefore, we can never be separated. And it gave us hope. There's still sadness. And I think, you know, we got to allow the sadness to be present. It, it is there. It doesn't mean when, once we're hopeful again, we move to a sense of hope that we're not sad. I think sadness is a part of this journey we experience. We hope that you're enjoying this episode from The Caring Congregation. Check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com, for more resources. Also, to sign up for our Fall 2021 National Webinar, which will be held October 22nd through the 23rd online. And now, back to our program. I think we also have to take into account every family. You know, I think of like back to seminary and and like family systems theory, which is essentially how every family deals differently and how every, every family has different experiences. I come from a family where um, we lost uh, my aunt to leukemia when I was in middle school. And so here I am, you know, as a child learning how, our family talked about death. What does Mm. this mean? What does it mean to be resurrection people? And so I grew up with that. And so death was obviously was a very sad, traumatic experience. And and, and my aunt Joanne um, left behind three young children that it put a, it put a hole in our family. Um, But yet we were able to talk about that. We were able to process the emotions. Um, And then I think of other families where they don't talk about death. They don't like someone dies and it's, it's very sad. And then we just like go back to like living life. And, and yet there are family members within that family that struggle because they want to talk and process grief and sadness and loss. Cause it, you don't just go back to normal. And so, but that, but that's their family structure and that's how they, they talk and interact. And so I think these questions allow, um, allow us to, to ask those deep questions. Even if, even if we don't get answers in that family, at least you can ponder them. Um, and at least, um, at least there can, can be some healing, some closure. Um, and I'll be sure to, to put in the show notes, um, this, the spiritual care assessment so people can go back and read it for themselves, but just excellent questions to really think through, death and dying. Um, and another thing too, is it, it triggers a lot in families. Um, there's so many emotions that can come out when someone is dying. Um, and when someone dies in the family, um, unresolved hurts and pains, things that they wish they would have said, regrets, shame. Um, oh my goodness. There's so many dynamics at work. 
It's a lot. It's a lot. And you know, as as we try to emphasize in the TCC model of care, um, yes, we are caring for those who are experiencing their end of life within our congregations. But our hope is that we're also being the body of Christ in our community. And that means that at times we may find ourselves in a situation, maybe we're doing a hospital visit and we've been asked because someone's picked up on our vibes of love, um, that we might be someone who can assist in a situation. And we, we can't assume um, that we're dealing with someone of the Christian faith. And so that makes us as caregivers need to evaluate where we are with that, you know, and take a look at that. And, you know, our role is not to proselytize. Um, we may be asked to make sure when we're visiting that patient that they've quoted the four spiritual laws or that they've, you know, confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. And that puts us in a dilemma if we're dealing with, with family members whose faith traditions, even related to death and dying, are different. Um, now, that's going to happen more to the pastors, uh, those of us who are pastors, than to those who are the lay um, caring congregation. But I'll tell you this, you may be dealing with a, you may be ministering to a uh, congregational uh, person at their bedside, but their fam- family members will not be of the Christian faith. So my, mindfulness is very important as, as we are caring for those in this stage of life that we don't cause harm. Um, we're relying upon the grace of God um, to, and that the Holy Spirit is present in those conversations we're having. So it leads us to those questions about the concept of God or of faith, you know, um, asking questions like, where is or how do you see God in this experience for you. Um, we can ask that of our family members. And some might tell us right now, I'm just too angry. You know, I remember when my dad was surrounded by ministers in the hospital room before he was going into surgery and they wanted to hold hands and have this real powerful uh, revival prayer. I was an angry young woman and I stood there with my fists closed. I refused to hold hands I was, I was hurting. I did not want to see my dad go through yet another painful experience with his cancer battle. And yet he was facing it. So um, the assumption that I was ready for prayer was a wrong assumption. I needed to have a conversation about what I was really going through. And so we as the body of Christ can offer those opportunities for people to be vulnerable, to share what they're really feeling and talk about their faith. Is it helping you right yeah. now? Or are you struggling yeah. you know, with this? Do you feel that God is near or do you feel adrift? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, And give, give people permission to, to have those feelings. Oh, sure. And allow that space for... Oh, so they allow that space for, for there to be anger at sure. God. And that's yeah. okay because God is big enough to take your anger. Yeah. Absolutely. And to remember again that this is not about being a lone ranger as a, as pastor or CCM, but there may be someone who is just the right person to talk to that non or nominally religious person like Laura, what you were talking about. Um, I think we've all seen that as we've encountered family circles um, and knowing full well that 
okay, I am one part of the equation. Who else can I pull in that might better serve that person? Right. Who might relate better to them and to not be afraid at all to just, uh, in fact, that's, that is to me being a good leader is just saying, okay, I am not the person to relate to them, but there is someone else and bring that person into the conversation. Um, a CCM that may just have a, a greater understanding and the fullness of perhaps this other person's religious experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think some of the most tender conversations, if if we are able to have them with with either the family members that are present or with the loved one that they are caring for, you know, those questions about hope, you know. What are your hopes? What are your fears? What does having hope mean for you in this time? How have you kept a sense of hope in the past that might can help you in this present situation? And um, what's gotten you through difficult times in the past? These are so important questions. And actually, that place of um, um, deep, uh, sacred moment um, and space for grace for the Holy Spirit to do incredible, incredible work uh, on the spiritual life as as we help them turn from them from this place of deep darkness to begin to see light. And you know that that God is present. God has not abandoned them. God God is real and active in their life, even in this dying process, this ch- time of transition. And, um, and then offering that ability to share a word of hope to their loved ones that stand around them. If they're, if they're able to communicate that, mm-hmm. um, that hope to their family is just such a precious gift. Sure. Laura, when you were that young person, as you said, in the circle and you did, you did not want to receive a prayer. Do you remember was there any shift in how you felt or who brought that shift in your thinking or how that continued to process out in your young mind? You said you were not ready. You know, I I remember immediately leaving the room and running to have a conversation with someone I trusted who was of a deep faith prayer background, but wasn't going to pray um, a superficial prayer, a rehearsed prayer with me, but was going to pray um, a prayer that I as a young person could understand um, that went something sort of like, God, this really stinks. You know, we hate that this is happening. Why God again? And, and, and verbalize for me the words I couldn't say, but in that, bring me to a place where I could say, I'm not even going to be able to get through this day unless I know that God is with me. And honestly, that's what I needed in the moment. Um, more than I needed my God, my dad to be healed, you know, or my dad to make it through the surgery. I needed to know that I had the ability to cope. And in that moment, I didn't feel like I did. I felt my world crumbling and 
it was that person who validated those feelings, but then offered up a prayer that was genuine. And that gave me um, new insight into my prayer life. It changed my prayer life. Um, You know, God doesn't need me to put on my Sunday school dress to appear before God in prayer. God says, I know your naked raw self and, and all of your heartache and all of your pain. And I just want to love you through this. You know, I'm here for you. You know, Laura, I think making that connection for people is incredibly powerful. You know, we go through um, our liturgical calendar every year. And yet then when we're living life in, in a season of, of death and dying, um, to help make that connection to what we believe in, in the scriptures and what we what we talk about um, in the liturgical year, year, like making that connection can be so incredibly powerful. Um, For instance, you know, Good Friday, what does that mean um, for Jesus to be in pain and to be in suffering and those seeing Jesus death? Um, how, how do we relate to that? How do we make that scripture um, come alive in our own life, in our own journey? What does it mean to sit in Holy Saturday where, you know, the concept of Holy Saturday is like nothing's happening per se, and yet God is still at work. Um, but there is that unknown. There is that time mm-hmm. of mourning and grief and sadness and helping people relate to that. Um, I, I think often, you know, we, we skip ahead in the, in our, in our Holy week, we, we, we get through it because we want to get to that, that glorious Easter celebration on, on Sunday mornings, but we don't take time to sit in that Holy Saturday and, and to allow people to sit in that Holy Saturday and allow people to, um, relate to, Mary, the mother of Jesus, her deep grief and sadness where Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead yet, but sitting there in that unknown and that grief and that sadness and, and allow people to see that it's okay to be stuck there mm. more than just a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, our, the church, the church wants to move on, right? The church wants to move on, but we, we, it's hard in our grief to, to quickly move on. And we're not meant to quickly move on. And so allowing people that room and that space to sit there and to grieve there and to ask those tough questions and, and be reflective in that season of, of death and dying. Uh, I think making that connection is so important for, for the church. Joy, I, I so love the way you express that importance of understanding the three days and that's Holy Saturday, what that space means. Um, I just recently uh, was reading a blog um, who um, the writer called on the word bardo, Mm, which is a Tibetan term that means the intermediate space, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that place of really, um, it's a time of before and after, and then there is this immediate space. Mm-hmm. We're standing in between what was and what is yet to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so helping people, in a sense, to embrace um, in their, in what's happening, that this is 
um, something that may be the first time that they have gone through. And, sure. and as pastors or CCMs, we recognize this may be the first time that a child or someone is going through that space. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And how then yeah. do we give them language? Um, your questions, Laura, about hope. Um so that they have an understanding that um, let's not shy away from this. I'm going to walk through this with you. You are not yeah. alone. That's yeah. right. Amen. I love that. Don't love you think? That. Don't you think that this pandemic has given us, even if it's just a sliver of that experience, where sure. you know we are so instant gratification culture, you know if we want something changed, we can change it in a heartbeat, you know, but what we did was we went from life as we knew it to that gray shadow life of now what with all of the other unexpected and all of the losses in multiple ways of Mm -hmm. loss. And we couldn't get anywhere fast enough. We couldn't get ourselves out of that fast enough. Mm -hmm. I, I think this pandemic for us in a sense is what a Holy Saturday Mm-hmm. experience yes. is that we are sharing globally. Um, sure. And it is an uncomfortable place to be. But I have witnessed uh, in my own family and in my church community and in this town I live, a coming togetherness that says we'll get through this together. And and I think that's who we're called to be. Um it's almost yeah. as if there is an opportunity to reset our lives during this pandemic, to re, to adjust um, negative thinking. I mean, it's it's given us that space mm-hmm. and time to emerge now. At some point, as new people in Christ, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and with I think the, that's what that hope. Yes, I think that's what that the death hope. experience can give sure. us too, sure. is that we can become new creatures in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Well, this has been such an important topic, and I'm grateful that we can have these hard conversations. Um, Karen, would you close us? In- sure. Oh, gracious God, we are so grateful to be able to feel your embrace to know you are walking alongside us and that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Mm -hmm. And for all of those, Lord God, who may, in a sense, shy away from that language, we just ask that we, as Christians, might recognize how we can be more sensitive, how we can embody it, your grace, your peace, your love, as they walk through the death and dying process without even having to speak a word. Let us be the light, the peace, the love in any way. Let us embody that, that surely, Lord God, as um, we help people through these times, we might more fully, Lord God, understand what it means to be resurrected. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. 
Thanks for tuning in for this week's podcast. Join us next week as we discover part two of Death and Dying, where we're talking about little deaths. Until then, check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com. There's information on our new books, the Implementation Guide and Care Minister's Manual, as well as you can sign up for our online webinar. Or if you would like for us to host an in-person webinar, there's more information there. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.